Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. You uh, want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Welcome to Cycle Chats, a podcast to destigmatize what it means to be a woman. This is episode 28, The Travel Guide for Broken Hearts where we talk to a woman of all trades. She is an actress, a dancer, a singer, and the author of The Travel Guide for Broken Hearts and the woman whose presence brings my heart pure joy, my friend, Haley. Oh, what an introduction. You almost helped me in tears and we haven't even gotten into the nitty gritty yet. I know, but you do. You bring me joy because I think about that glorious time we're in you know, I met you and we were able to go on stage and be together. So pre-COVID, I'll give everybody a little background on how I know Haley. Haley and I met doing a production of Nice Work, if you can get it. And it was just instant chemistry. She's just good, golden, pure joy. And I was like, all right, I like you. Let's hang out. And then she like hung out with me and yeah, it was a friendship. It was. We had a mutual love of Gilmore Girls and an addiction to caffeine. And uh, we got to play opposite a bit in the show, which was really fun. You made me laugh from day one. And I was like, oh, she's in my, she's one of my pocket people. Like on those contracts, you always have a pocket person that you kind of keep and you're like, oh, yep, you're here. And you've just been here ever since, sis. (laughs) I know. Well, you know what? I like to be in the pocket. It's quite warm and comfortable there. So I'm happy. But I think what you do is amazing. You're infinitely more talented than I am. So. Oh my God. That's a lie. We need a fact check over here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you a million times for being here. You're our first author. So I'm really excited. So my first question that I ask every single guest is, what prompted you to write your book of poetry? It's really amazing having you ask me this question because you were there for the sort of inciting incident that brought upon this book of poetry was very much a part of the journey. So for context, for those that weren't there in nice work, if you can get it in Florida, you know, writing this book was not something I sort of sought out to do. If I'm being really honest, writing has always been a huge part of my life and poetry in particular, was a way I just kind of coped with the world and had a way of processing my own sort of colorful, chaotic mind that was separate from work. Because since the other things I loved acting, singing, and dancing became work, I needed something else that was unrelated to that. That could be just for me and for my own expression. So writing was always something I did, but I never was super public about it besides a few contests and a few things in college. But during Nice Work, if you can get it, I went through a very shocking, and I do use this word not lightly, I use it intentionally, traumatizing breakup where it happened very suddenly and I was very sort of caught off guard. And the first thing that helped me was poetry books. A friend of mine had gotten, I don't know even how they got in the dressing room, they had dropped off uh, Rupi Carr's book, The Sun and All Her Flowers, or The Sun and Her Flowers, and had put it on my dressing room table. So the very next day when I had to go to the show, someone had snuck in and taken down all the pictures of my ex. More importantly, sitting on my dressing station was that book, That and Eat, Pray, Love, which I'm going to talk about Eat, Pray, Love a lot. But those poetry books were the first two things that helped. So many other attempts at feeling better. Just I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't listen to music. I could barely do the show. And the poetry books, for some reason, were like the first key into the door of being okay on a really long journey that I'm kind of still on, if we're being honest. It was about three years ago and the, the journey continues. I think most people will find that with healing. But 
long story short, I, I decided to write. So I started writing just to get through the days in a journal that happened to have the date at the top of every page, which I didn't used to do. And flash forward, you know, this opportunity coming up where I get to go on the ship, where I was a performer on a ship, which happened two days after the breakup I auditioned for in Greece on Royal Caribbean. And it was an open call in Miami. My friends in the cast made me go because they were like, you're so sad. Can you please come outside? We're going to make you go to this. And I end up booking it, which I always attribute as a really, you know, a God thing, a miracle that I prayed, you know, I don't know what to do, take me away. And I booked this kind of dream contract where I got to spend three months in Europe, six months in the Caribbean, just kind of living my own eat, pray, love. So on that experience, I started writing every place I went. I would write, you know, based on the places like Cadiz and Corsica, Norway. And so kind of deep into that contract, people started saying, it's interesting that you wrote the timeline of your healing, like one month after, two months after, three months after, but also all these places you literally went. And I started to realize there was this like intersection of a story here of not only a literal journey through the world, all these crazy places, a little girl from Kentucky would never get to go. But then also this journey of healing literally charted by time, which was funny because I did not do it on purpose. It was such an accident, but I think that's what makes it sort of special. And what people relate to it is understanding that when you see the time spelled out on paper, you realize, oh, it takes a long time. And how does time play into our healing journeys? So the reason I decided to publish it was because poetry books helped me. A lot of people ask me that. They're like, why did you publish it? Was it, you know, a last love letter to your ex? Was it to show the world you're okay? Or, you know, to talk about your own equal love? And honestly, I, I mean, very sincerely, it was this idea that maybe it could help somebody the way that Rupi Carr's words and Elizabeth Gilbert's words helped me. And I, I think it has, and I'm just delighted that that's true. I feel like I just listened to your audiobook, like the precursor, and I'm like, I'm ready. Chapter one, close my eyes and let me drift away into this journey. Wow. Yeah, it's a crazy story. It's hard to summarize it because it, it, you have to talk about kind of those moments. But isn't that something, though, that someone inspires you so deeply through your own healing? that you're like, man, I bet I could help someone. And then you just continue on this like beautiful connection. We talk about spider web a lot on our podcast. And I almost feel like in a way, that's what it is. It's this strong connection between all of these human beings who have gone through something that have so profoundly changed them that they're like, there's no other way for me to express this than through some sort of an art medium. And so now you're all kind of metaphorically holding hands through these pages. And it's like, that's such a cool thought that the ripple effect of time, this person was born, they grew up, they wrote this, it inspired this person who was born and, and it keeps going and keeps going. That's beautiful though. Thank you for saying that. And I, yeah, I definitely think this idea of like, take your heartbreak and make something beautiful. Cause it's like, we can't control the terrible things that happen to us. You know, so many worse things have happened to people. I am, I come from a place of privilege and I recognize that, but in my life, that was the worst thing that had ever happened to me that, you know, you have a choice in that moment. You, you either you know, stay on the floor and eat a lemon bundt cake or you go do your show. And before the days of COVID, the show must go on was very true. And, you know, I, I credit 
the theater and the amazing people I had to lean on that kind of taught me that first moment of the overture reminding me, okay, it's going to keep going. Life is going to keep going. You are going to keep going. But then, yeah, these words where I was just like, oh, someone understands exactly what I'm feeling. And I thought since I am kind of known, Emily kind of alluded to this, that I'm kind of known as a very bubbly, happy person up until this point in my life and was never very public about struggling or being sad or being anxious. So I thought it might be extra meaningful if someone that people look to for their happiness admitted and showed the depth to which she was very sad. And that's something that I've really tried to use moving forward in my life, in my own performances, in my acting, in my yoga that I teach. It's all about, we have to be really honest with the duality of ourselves. I only can be this happy person because I have the depth to feel that sadness and both are correct and beautiful. I, I think it's really good that you're showing that because I know that that's very hard for somebody who's always so positive about everything to show that vulnerability sometimes can be a little scary. So kudos to you for opening yourself up to be able to show that it must be very freeing in a way. Thank you. Thank you. It was. And yeah, it was a little scary and a little like, for some reason, I was most concerned of less about strangers, more about what my family was going to say, like the people in my closest circle. I was like, are they going to think this is crazy and way too public? And am I using my Instagram or this book as like an open diary to the world where there should be a boundary? And I think, no, I think that the more honesty I see in the people I follow and in, you know, the constant intake of podcasts and books, it's like, the people that are really honest are the ones that I care the most about what they have to say. And I, I only think it's through honest sharing that we help each other through life. Like we have to help each other along the way. And it's only if you're being really honest, can you help somebody else and help yourself? Otherwise it's just a spiral. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I remember the first episode that I edited, I sent it to Steph and our guest, Nicole, and Steph kept sending me texts every day. And she was like, Emily, I need you to take this part out. And I was like, okay, you got it. Sure. I'll do it. And then she would text me the next day and be like, you know, no, leave it in, leave it in. And then she would text me the next day and she would be like, just kidding. I need you to take it out. But she eventually got to this place where she was like, you know what, Emily, I actually want you to leave it in because hopefully it can help somebody else that's in that same situation. And that, like you said, is true beauty because being honest, vulnerable, being yourself there's nothing better. That's the cream of the crop right there. So that's what we try and do here. We're just trying to be honest, open, have this conversation so that women and the men that are listening, like my brother is an avid listener. He is a straight white man and he listens and we talk and he's like, I learn so much from listening. And that's great because that's what this should be. It should be giving you an inside so that you can say, oh my God, I thought I was alone. I am not alone because no one is alone. No one, no one. It's beautiful being truthful, being honest. That is, that's for me. That's how I try and live my life as honest as I can. And I think something that helped me was how patient you were at allowing me to get to that not that you allowed me, but that you, you know, you were just patient in understanding that that was something very new for me. And I even had to ask myself, why am I being so adamant about wanting to take this, this section out? And it was because like you said, what, what are my family members going to think? Or, you know, am I, and I was this protection mindset of somebody else's feelings, but it was my truth. So I was like, I'm putting my truth aside 
for somebody else's potential hurt feelings. I mean, I'm an adult. I got hurt. This hurt me. So why can't I share this in a very honest space? You know, there's a saying, uh, when you hurt someone's feelings, you don't get to tell them that you didn't hurt their feelings. It kind of goes back to that spot of when you were writing your poetry, did you ever have moments where you were like, no, a little too personal, got to take it out. And then kind of went back to that page like it was calling you to be like no no set me free yeah especially because so the 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 poetry book literally originated as an actual journal so when I decided to really move forward with this project and choose from a year of material sort of daily writing and a lot of places in the world I traveled because not every place I went made it into the book and not every day of healing or chart line made it in and you know the kind of the poems from the cutting room floor is something I've revisited because there are a lot of the ones I cut are some of them were very personal or really specific ones but I I was very thankful for the people that kind of helped me push through that first resistance because the especially the first part of the book has the Miami chapter has a lot of really painfully honest things that I was afraid to admit. And I think realizing that those were essential to the story because you had to be honest about sort of the low to, to gain the highs and to see the miracle of, of growth and the ebb and the flow really, because it's less linear than that was really important. So yeah, I definitely like had so many edits of this and I, I had an editor I was working with. I had my mom, who's also a writer. She's a lyricist and a poet. That was a really pivotal day when she read it with me and then just through tears just weeping talked through what she thought was missing helped me write the dedication she she was a huge hand on the book and a really a really interesting turning point for me because she was one of the ones that was like no it it needs to be there if you're gonna do this you have to be really honest about how broken you felt but those are definitely the poems and then on a sillier note like an embarrassing like schoolgirl note I was afraid for some of the sassier poems like there's some about other men that come later and you know kissing someone's freckles on their chest and things that I was like now my family's gonna know I kiss boys like off the stage like <laughs> so I was like really embarrassed to be public about being like physical with men or anything like that and I of course you have that little voice in your head I would be lying to say that I didn't wonder if my ex would read it and what that implication would be but I had a lot of helpful people in my life saying it doesn't matter you know you don't owe them any sort of explanation it's not about them that, you know, and I think that was a really big moment for me too, to kind of not ask permission to share my own side of my story, because I don't do anything maliciously towards my ex in the book. In fact, some people have given it the criticism. They wish it was a little harder on him and a little meaner and a little more hate and a little more something. Not hate. Yeah. Yeah. A little more anger. My mom said that the first time she read it, she's like, I wish you were more mad. And I was like, I'm not ready to be mad yet. And you know, this, this only takes place over the, the book only takes place over the course of the first year of healing. But the last two years have been even more pivotal, especially with COVID kind of forcing the deep trudging of cleaning out of all of our souls. I'm sure we all relate to that. When you finally slow down, you're like, Oh no. The gutters are dirty, babes. Let's clean out that house. So yeah, I think that first year took a long time to even get to anger. So the book is is more of a love letter in that sense. But yeah, learning to not ask permission to tell your stories a, is a big one for I think most women and women identifying humans. It's we often feel like we have to ask permission. It's just the way we were conditioned, sadly. Or that we don't want to hurt someone else's feelings who have very much hurt ours. 
that's a real strange concept because there's a couple things that happened you know we all have the ex stories and there were like certain things that I never wanted to bring up with people because I'm like no I don't like you know want to make them like seem like a bad person and it's like yeah it's not a bad person but what they did was not very nice and it still happened to you it's this idea that women have to be these perfect little housewives it's just we're not we're so much more complex than that and it's like just because we have emotions doesn't mean we're crazy or that we're you know whatever colorful language uh, tends to be put on on women it just means that we are compassionate and empathetic and sympathetic and all of these things that i mean geez louise we have babies you know it's like we are a literal human house for this thing for nine months you gotta you gotta have some sort of mental and emotional strength to deal with everything that's changing and moving around absolutely yeah the grit it takes just to be a woman i think the the sort of scrappy passion it takes just to kind of be who you want to be against a lot of odds and a lot of opinions i think that's real do you have any plans on writing the the saga you know that's that's funny i i you know i've been thinking about that a lot i think I have been writing a lot more since and very regularly, which is cool. I feel like once I published the book and started doing kind of readings around the city and getting, you know, positive feedback and learning about the way things resonate, I was really inspired to keep it as a steady part of my life. So usually I just use my Instagram for it as sort of the outlet right now. Down the road, I would love to sort of republish it as a larger collection of maybe, I don't, I don't even know what that would look like yet, but definitely like this idea of I, the word that always comes to me, which is so dramatic, but I am a drama queen is um, aftermath. And it's kind of this idea. Okay. Like everyone always talks about the breakups, but what about what comes after? Like, Okay, so the, the movie always ends, either they're married or they're, they break up and it's like a walk to remember and we're really sad or it's, you know, Notting Hill and we're jumping for joy. What happens after? Where's that story? What happens when we're in our late 20s and our early 30s and we're still figuring it out? I mean, Sex and the City is a great example and I love that, but I want to know if it would be interesting for people to know what happens after. I think that's interesting because a journey of healing for any sort of pain, loss, rejection, I have come to know it so deeply to be true. It is not on a timeline that any of us can control. Just like the physical healing that's going on in the world right now with the pandemic and the timeline that that is taking that we all want such faster answers to. Like grief, true grief and loss is cyclical and takes a long time. And I think it's a lifetime of journeying to being a human. I don't think there's ever really an answer. So I think more poems about that, about how you don't have to feel better. You don't have to be okay one day. And even when new love comes in your life, that old love or that old loss is still a part of the story. Where are the poems about that? That's messy. That's interesting to me. So yeah, I'll try to write something, but who knows? I love that. That, I mean that, but that inspires me just you saying that because it's true. Like I would be lying if I didn't sometimes think about exes. I mean, I'm very happily married, as you know, because I got engaged during nice work, a little bit of trivia, but I would be lying if I, if I didn't say that I don't think about that sometimes because I do, because those relationships, those men shaped who I am. They are always going to be a part of me. I don't love them anymore. And I get to look back and like you said, tell my side of the story, which I have many times. I wrote my ex a, I think like seven to 11 page letter and he actually never responded, but just totally fine. 
but I needed for him to know how I was feeling. I thought that was important. It's, it's always going to be messy. And when you are in love and you do find that it's still really friggin' messy relationships are not all happy sunshine, rainbows, smiley faces. It's, it's dirty sometimes. And that's, that's okay. That's beauty too. You know, like we said, sadness is beauty. Sometimes the dirt of the relationship makes it beautiful because then you get to enjoy those moments of pure joy and like ecstasy even more. So I, I love that. I think you should do it. The aftermath, that sounds like an amazing title for a poetry book. I would totally read that because I don't know if you are a woman out there that is totally over somebody, please raise your hand. I need to know who you are, how you did it, all of the things. I don't know. I just don't think it's possible. I think what's interesting too is you you mentioned how it's like you never really get over it, right? And some of the best advice I ever received was from a friend. Her mom passed away. And in a way, a relationship loss is like a death. I've always felt that it's pretty much the same feeling. She said, I'm going to tell you something right now. It never goes away. You're never going to get over it ever. She said, but it becomes easier to live with the thought. So it's like learning a language. At first you're like, this is impossible. I'm ne- I don't understand this. I don't know what's going on. She goes, but then you start to learn the language of death almost. And you start to find this sense of peace with it she goes but it never goes away it never stops hurting it just starts to feel different so that hurt turns into something else and I think people are always looking I would say probably especially women we're looking for the fix of like I never ever want to feel this and I'm I'm gonna just write them out of my life but the truth is you have to feel in order to be able to like move on and to live with it because that's part of the coping to shove that all the way down is to basically say oh this never existed at all then that starts to translate into oh this feeling doesn't exist period so if something good comes along you're you know putting the pillow over it so hard that it can't breathe and you don't even realize that you're killing something that could be even better if you would just feel that Feel it. Don't get lost in it, but feel it. It's like a dip in cold water and then get out. Ooh, oh, okay. That's it. I felt it. It's cold. I'm over. I'm good. So that way that warm blanket, that warm towel you put over you is even more satisfying because you know what it feels like to be in freezing cold water. That's so good. I've gotten similar advice that, that really made a difference in my life when someone, I heard it on a podcast and read a book about it, where they said this idea of we don't move on, we move through. So like you are physically forever changed. It's like having a limp. It's like you broke your leg for, and you'll never walk the same again. It's like, I will always move through life differently. I have been forever changed, but I will move through it. This physical and mental and whatever change is always going to be a part of me and my story now, but it, I will move through the world with it. So that helped me a lot because yeah, I agree with you. This concept of like, well, when are you over it? It's like, you might never be over it. You might never be able to forget the moment of impact in the car crash or the day your life changed or the way it made you feel. And a a letter might always remind you, a song might always take you back, but that doesn't have to mean anything in that moment. Something reminds you of them. It doesn't mean the person you're with isn't the love of your life. It doesn't mean that you're not healthy and strong. It doesn't mean that your healing journey is back to square one. It doesn't mean anything. It just makes sense that the person you spent six years of your life with reminded you Of course they did. 
thank God they did. It meant something. So I think that to me is really healing. It's like when you do bump into sadness or bump into the grief and it is cyclical, don't let it throw you off your axis. Just recognize it, name it. Like you said, dip the toe in the water. It's a little chilly today. Sometimes you got to get full polar bear dive in and just soak it in on an anniversary or a memory. And then you get out and you dry off and you don't let it mean anything else besides the fact that you're healing. I think that's really important. It's so interesting. So I've spoken to only like a few friends on the podcast. I think you're my third person that I've actually known before doing it. It's like the most, I don't even know how to put this into words, but I have the most pride. When I did this with Sam, she's a stage combat intimacy director, but I I know her from grad school. So like, I know her a certain way. So to talk to you guys about this separate part of your life that I really haven't been a part of and don't know as well, or know you as this person is so, I'm just like, I'm beaming. I couldn't stop myself during Sam's. I kept telling her, I was like, Sam, I'm so proud of you. So I'm so proud of you. I'll say the same thing. Cause it's just, it blows my mind. Like I have the coolest people in my pocket. <laughs> so I want to ask because yes, I was there during the breakup. So I know what happened, but I know that you've had a few relationships since and relationships before. So what is one thing that you have learned from your own personal relationships and breakups? It's a sad thing, but it's important. I think the biggest lesson I learned, and it was from the big breakup, I actually got told it by my voice teachers, like my guru while I was in Florida, when I first told her about everything. And she said, and I didn't understand it at the time, but now I understand it so deeply. She said, sometimes love just isn't enough. And that broke my heart. And I, I, you know, the, the little Juliet lover in me that can quote all of Romeo and Juliet for you at any point, if you ever need that, that broke my heart because I was like, but wait, aren't we always taught that it is? And it's like, no, sometimes love just isn't enough. And where I found that comforting is to recognize that that means the biggest losses of our life where you feel confused because you're like, but I know we loved each other. Like I have evidence and I have witnesses and you see people who get divorced, like marriage story is a great example of this. Like the love is there, but sometimes life gets in the way. And sometimes people change and there are too many factors that then the love can no longer just be enough. And I think that's really important that people recognize that because then it doesn't negate what you had and what you shared. It doesn't make all the previous years of your life and the countless memories and the evidence is not negated. It's all real. But sometimes as adults, love just isn't enough and life takes us on different paths. And I think there's healing in that kind of sad truth. So I think that's the best lesson I learned. I know for myself, I think about previous relationships and I'm like, wow, I just was in such a different place. And like we people, you would hope we change. Some people don't, they stay the same. And that's really unfortunate because I hope for change in all human beings. I think it's incredibly critical to you becoming more enlightened, aware, self-aware, you know, it just makes you a better human being. And so that's, that's very true is that you could love someone, but also start to grow out of the you that loved them. And so when you start to become, I know my own experience, when I started to become a little bit more conscientious of certain things that I was like, I need this in a partner. 
I really, I was like, whoa, like, I love you, but I can't do these certain things because that's not who I am anymore. I think it's important to always bring that up too, because it's sad. Yes, because we want to believe I'm a hopeless romantic myself. So it's like, oh, but we love each other, daddy. I love him. You're 16, Ariel. Okay. You don't even know him. You change, you become different. You grow up. And especially as girls to women, all of a sudden, if we start to get our hearts broken enough, we're like, a little bit of this has to be me. And where, where can I love myself that I was using my partner to love me? Because I know like, you can't fill the void with external things. You got to do the hard work. I call mirror moments. You have to look in the mirror and be like, what's not working here? What about me that I don't love enough to like that I'm accepting this from, you know, X, Y, and Z. For me, the biggest lesson I've learned for love in all of my life was something that happened recently, but love is a choice that really, I was like, wow, it's not an emotion. I mean, yes, of course it is an emotion, but it is not only just that. It is a choice. I wake up every day and choose to be with Miguel, to love Miguel, to make sure I put my best foot forward in that relationship with not only him, but with myself, because that is huge. It is your choice to love yourself enough to say, yep, nope, I deserve that extra five minutes in the shower to give a cry, you know, whatever it is, or I love him but it's, it's my choice. I'm going to, I'm going to cook dinner. I know that he's having a hard day, whatever it may be. It is a choice. And that was like, pow, because you do, you grow up with Ariel, Little Mermaid, right? All of those Disney princess movies where they're like, I just knew it was a feeling and it was amazing. And I'm going to sing about it now. But what you don't see is the choice, the choice that they have. They don't talk about that. It's just, I love him. So we get married and that's it. And we live happily ever after. There's no choice. It's a lot of these. And I noticed something kind of to touch on Disney. A lot of these teenagers, it's like undeveloped, you know, you're, you're very young. And I think a lot of times, again, as women, we are pushed into this mindset to for the most part, it's very general. I would say it's definitely the paradigm has shifted now. But like you grow up to be a good wife and mother, which is great if that's what you want to do in your life, freaking kudos to you. But some women just don't. They don't want to do these traditional things. And more importantly, I don't know that we're now, yes, we're raising girls to be very confident women, but I just feel like I was raised with a different mindset and it wasn't as like a negativity to how the women in my life raised me. I learned a lot of wonderful things that are like embedded in my value system, but that find a man to take care of you and everything's going to be okay. So you start to shift how you want to do things because you're like, well, will a man like that? Will a partner want to take care of me? Well, you got to fill your life, I think, especially as young women with things that fulfill you. So for you, Haley, I'm I'm guessing your mom, you said your mom was, uh, she's a lyricist and a poet. So was that something that naturally you found you were pulled to at like a young age? Or was that something you kind of were guided into? That's interesting. My parents definitely influenced me a lot because they also have a, an exceptional love story. They were high school sweethearts and they met doing improv on their improv troupe. They're also actors. So I grew up in a very creative, very emotional house, a, a house where we were taught to be honest, even though we definitely still had this like 
when we go to church, we're all smiling kind of attitude, but it definitely was a house that allowed, you know, the talk of, okay, well, why is Pippin on stage struggling at the end of that musical dad that you're, you know what I mean? And then you learn about, you know, depression or whatever from Pippin. That's a weird example, but that's true. My father directed Pippin like twice when I was a child, but both my parents are writers. Both of them are super emotive and honest and their relationship is very healthy. And I love what you were saying, Emily, because I see them choose each other every day. And they have been married now for like 32 years and both have been through serious health struggles and have been there for the other person through many seasons of life. And that's, you know, just the love isn't enough in the negative. It's also in the positive. It's like they love each other, but when life is really hard, they still have to show up and do more than just dad can't just love mom when she's recovering from something. He has to be there for her and, you know, wash her hair when she's too sick and all these things. So I think I love that idea that yes, it's a choice. I was super influenced by my, my parents and I, I I think they did a, a really good job with help. My, I have a sister as well and a brother. One's older, one's younger. And I think my sister and I were raised to be quite independent. And I think I almost worry sometimes if that's like one of my faults. Like I, I, I struggle with being like ambitious to a fault and like that kind of Slytherin quality of like, will a man ever not be afraid of my life because he has to take a little bit of a backseat to my dreams. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's something I'm grappling with now that I'm older. Cause like you were saying with age, I was 24 when this breakup happened and I had been with the man for almost six years. So those are some really formative years. And at the time I felt really old and like really ready to make a lot of serious decisions and reading the book. Now, when I mentioned I turned 25 in it, I was like 25, like, Whoa, <laughs> like I remember being 25 and I'm only 27 now, but every year in your 20, is so formative. I, I think like from 21 to I'm sure 30, every single year brings so much change and personal development if you allow it to, that they are big differences. I feel very different now as a 27 year old post current pandemic post this breakup experience than I did when I was 24 writing this. So I think age is interesting to me. And I, I don't shame anyone for getting married young. My, my parents did that. And it's where I'm from in Kentucky, a big cultural thing, but I definitely have this interesting sort of like, not until I get to run the world. And I don't know where that comes from, but we're just leaning into it these days. Since we were just talking a little bit about women empowerment, which is what this whole thing is about, because we should feel empowered as women because we're pretty much rock stars. So what does women empowerment mean to you, Miss Haley? I'm pausing because it means so much to me. And I have so many facets of my life in which I work to help. I really want to help others feel empowered. And yet my own journey of empowerment has been a long one and I am still on it. It would be so silly for me to sit in front and be like, well, I'm good now. You know, I put on lipstick. So I'm feeling great today. It's like, no, I struggle. I think we all struggle. And to me, women empowerment and being an empowered woman means it sounds cliche, but I mean it so sincerely that instead of walking into a room and saying, thank you, like, thank you for having me. Thank you for hosting me. Thank you for listening to me sing. Thank you for reading my book. It's you're welcome. And it's not this pretentious, like grumpy, sassy, like you're welcome. I'm a hot or whatever. It's like, oh, I said, oh, no, I said, oh no, I went out of control. I went out of control. I got riled up. I got riled up. But instead of saying that, it's not that. It's with humility. We come to the table and we say, you're welcome because we are aware and empowered at the gifts we have. And that using our gifts, we help walk each other home. I think all the women out in the world and people who identify as such just need someone to walk them home, both literally and physically if you live in New York City. And I think emotionally, we've spent a lot of time 
thinking we have to do it ourselves to be empowered. And there's this really bad false idea of feminism that like, you can't have a man to be a feminist. It's like, no, absolutely. That's not true. And I think being an empowered woman requires having empowered men in your life and enlightened men and humans and non-identifying people that all support you in your dreams and your gifts and your ability to give them to others. So like, I feel my most empowered when I'm using my gifts to help others, whether that's teaching yoga, reading poems in a show that I find really meaningful. So I just, I, I love like Buddhism and I am also Christian and I have all this like faith in the world and in the universe. And I think empowered people are the ones that are tapping into the flow, like you said, and using their gifts to give back and to help the water just keep just keep cleaning everybody. We all need it. We all need a good freaking cleanse. So that's kind of a messy answer, but that's how I feel. <laughs> I like the messy. That was good. So then before your beautiful poem, my last question for all of our guests is always, what advice would you give your 15 year old self? I don't even know if it's advice. I think it's more of a statement. I think I would say you're doing okay. I think I would say like, you got it you got it. You know, I think there's been so many times in my life where I just really doubted that I could do it and that I could get through something and that I could be chosen, be enough, be loved, be whatever. And it's like, looking back at myself, I always was. And I'm so proud that I honored the dreams that I had when I was very little. And I look at my life now, even through the trauma and through the pain and the sacrifices and the terrible things that have happened and all the good. And I, I look back at my younger self and I'm like, you honored her. You honored what she always wanted. And she would be so proud of you. And she would be so stoked that you get to put on like really dark lipstick and talk to your friends about something you made. So I think I would just say like, I was a really anxious child and I'm a really anxious person. And I think I would just tell myself like, you got it and give her a hug. She probably needed a little more hugs. I love it. That was my 15 year old self. She just needed like, she also needed to be told to break up with her boyfriend, but (laughs) you know, that's besides the point. The the sparkle eyeliner for like junior prom was a little much. Well, this has been absolutely lovely. You are just a delightful human being both inside and out. And I could quite literally listen to you speak for the next foreseeable ever. So I want other people to experience all of this golden goodness. Can you tell us where our listeners can find you? And do you have any fun or exciting projects that are coming up that we should keep our little peepers out for? Oh, those are good questions. Thank you. Also, that is so kind. They can find me most accessibly on Instagram. You can follow either my, I kind of have three, which seems excessive, but it makes sense why. One is for my personal life and my acting, which is Haley's Comet NYC. It's not spelled like the comet. So that is confusing. H-A-L-E-Y. And then the Travel Guide for Broken Hearts Instagram, which also has a link to the book, which I've reduced the price in half of during the pandemic so that people can access it really easily. And it's really cheap. It's less than a cup of coffee. It's like six bucks. Cup of coffee in New York, I should say. People are like, that's really expensive coffee. I'm like, not here, folks, buckle down. But then my yoga, I'm also a yoga teacher and I use yoga for healing is sort of my whole mantra for that. And it really ties in all three of my things. There's a lot of theater in the yoga. There's a lot of poetry and these, this like returning to the original self is a very Buddhist principle. So that's lion's breath yoga. So any of those handles will take you to many resources. And honestly, I don't have much on the docket right now. I just did two new readings of two new plays that I was super stoked about, but currently I don't know. I'm hoping 
some big things are going to manifest at the end of the year. And I'm now inspired to write. So maybe we'll just put it out there. Aftermath coming to a bookshelf near you in like 2022. And, and where can you buy the books? Because that's something that people yes. need to know. Yes, yes. You can buy it on Amazon, but I also would recommend supporting some of the smaller bookstores that I have it on the shelf in, which I'll send. I can send that information because it's kind of complicated. They're random. It's in a few bookstores throughout the United States, but it is accessible on Amazon. And if anybody ever doesn't have the resources for a book, I'm happy to donate one to any groups. I know there was a group of widows that had the book and their their stories were so moving to me. So if anybody ever needs it or you want to send it to a friend and you don't have the means in the pandemic right now, just DM me and I'll send them one because it's like my love letter to the world. So. Oh my goodness, Haley. I'm, yep. Nope. I'm flabbergasted in the best way possible. So Haley did this amazing thing for us and you listeners. Stephanie and I will hear this now for the first time as you will hear it for the first time. Haley actually wrote a poem for us and for you. So Stephanie, take a deep breath. I'm going to take a deep breath. Hopefully I don't cry. We'll figure this out. Oh my gosh. I hope it's, I hope this isn't too much of a lead up now. Now I'm like nervous that it's going to be, that you're going to be disappointed. So we should just pretend like it sucks to start and then like, well, the bar will be really low, right? Okay. Yeah. It's going to suck yeah. everyone. Yeah. It's about being women and the world right now. Told to sit like a lady. What the hell does that mean? A woman can sit any way she wants, upside down or open or backwards, on her hands or crisscross applesauce or with one leg behind her head. Why is sitting gendered at all? I'll take that direction as meaning to sit with power, with divine, feisty, feminine energy of the moon. And I'll unapologetically sit right on down at the table the men didn't invite me to, bringing the chair I built with my wild ambition, carried all the way with my scrappy strength, placing it at the table without waiting for the invite. No apologies or explanation for the way I show up with my body in this space. Or really? I'd rather not sit at all. I don't have time to prove to you fellas what a gift it is to be in the presence of an ambitious woman. I've got other tables to build. I've got dreams for the taking. And I guess I'll build and take them like a lady. So you might want to take a seat because I'm just getting started. I did it. I cried, everyone, just because you can't see me. So, wow, that was amazing. Wow. I don't even know. I feel like I'm going to have to cut that part out of the episode and just like video that and put that on my, I don't even know. That's going to have to be my nighttime wake up, my daytime wake up, nighttime goodbye. Woo. Wow. It's so powerful. She's waking up in the middle of the night (laughs) to listen to it. She's like, oh my God. You need your sleep. You can, you can be powered by it throughout the day, but I want you to get your beauty sleep. She's like, I got to build these tables. They're not going to build themselves. I got my scrappy chairs. I got to carry them. No, I'm glad you guys like it. I just had this concept of like, yeah, even that, like the the misogyny is so deeply ingrained in me. Like, yeah, someone was like, I said that out loud, actually. I was like, oh, I need to sit like a lady. I was like, wait, what? What does that mean? Because the ladies I know can do whatever they want. So I just, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at these days. Well, thank you so much for sharing this vulnerable side of yourself, this strong side of yourself, emotional side of yourself, and all of these wonderful, fantastic, fierce, fabulous things that make you truly just a beautiful human being. I always say to the people that Emily personally knows that I totally get why you, as we so lovingly have referred to it as pocket people, I get it now. You are 
such a delight and thank you truly from every fiber of all of us for taking time because I know time these days feels a little bit more precious than money so for you to share a little bit of yours with us means a lot thank you it was my joy and I'm I'm so inspired by what you guys are doing and this whole podcast is so needed and just getting women talking about being comfortable with all these topics and seeing all the things people are creating and I'm so inspired by what you're doing so it was my absolute honor to get to be here and thank you for listening to me talk goodness that's my parents used to joke I should marry a parrot so they always listen to me talk so <laughs> thanks for being my parrot today guys <laughs> oh it was totally our pleasure yeah I just I recorded prior crackers though, always want to make sure that, you know, that's set up in my terms. And on that note, Polly wants to say thank you for syncing up with us. And we certainly hope that you sync up with us next time. Mm-hmm.